Our New Testament scripture reading is from the book of Mark, chapter 10, verse 46 through 52. It's found on page 846 in the Red Pew Bible. If you happen to have one of the Black Pew Bibles, like I have to use with the big print, it'll be at page 1007. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho and his disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This is the very word of God. Thanks be to God. Mm. Mm. Now, I invite you to keep your thumbs in that passage or your phones open to that passage as we explore God's Word today. Um, but I wanted to, to press on into this, this idea um, that God has entrusted the gospel to us, the good news of the kingdom. I, I share with you over and over again, I don't understand why He did it that way, but it is clear in His Word that He entrusted this treasure to you and to me and and expects us to somehow invest it for his kingdom. And so um, we have been looking at that gospel. We started on Easter Sunday and and we learned that one expression of it was uh, he is risen. We continued to expand that uh, that definition of the gospel over the weeks that passed. We looked at, at 1 Corinthians 15 and discovered that that his death had meaning, that he died for our sins and that and that he appeared and that he was going to appear again and we gradually found ourselves in that ancient understanding of of a, of a larger expression of the gospel Christ has died hallelujah Christ has risen help me hallelujah Christ will come again hallelujah right wow praise god praise god this isn't the end of the story He's still writing this story, and in this mystery that's hard to understand, he, he is writing us into his story. We are a critical part of that, that larger story as well. Then a couple of weeks ago, we, we went back and looked at it. What is God's story? And, and Brad Taylor, a missionary here in Evansville, opened our eyes to how simple that story was. And, and he gave us several metaphors by which we can understand that story and even tell that story. And, and we saw that, that the gospel is larger than 
than even the redemption portion that we gravitate to. We saw that, that the gospel begins with creation. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were there in the very beginning. And, and God was at work in the very beginning. We saw that the, the gospel stories includes acceptance of the fact that we are fallen people. That, that the world is broken. And, 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 that, and we experience brokenness as well. And then we reaffirmed again our understanding the gospel includes this glorious news that Christ came, entered into our broken world, became broken himself so that we might be redeemed. And ultimately, the fourth part of that gospel message, that we might be restored. This is just astounding to me. That we could be restored to his created glory. And that's how he sees us. We're tempted, aren't we, to see ourselves in our brokenness but He sees us in our restoration, in our created glory. And so, so then we took the last week and, and kind of focused on how, how do we tell that story. And, and we gave you some simple ways to, to think about your story. I don't want to put anybody on the spot, but did you try that? Did you try that? My job is not to teach you for more head knowledge. My job is to teach you to put into practice what you learn. And I just really want to encourage you. There's no judgment or condemnation. But Jesus says there are people waiting to hear your story. They're waiting to hear your story. Because your story is a reflection of the gospel as well. And so we gave you some tools last week to creatively tell your story in 15 to 30 seconds. And just invite you to risk that, to practice that. But I want to take you one step further. I'm smiling because, because um, it's really important to, um, as we're moving along, to risk obedience, to risk putting it into practice. Because pretty soon you get so far past that initial point that, it's, that it's, you get overwhelmed. But I want to press pause for a, say, for a second and say, just as you're telling your story is, is really important, so is your listening to other people's story. Does that make sense? Um, when, when we tell our story, the way we were training you to do that was to say, there was a time in my life when, right? And, and you describe that time before you experienced the fullness that Christ has for you. But God intervened and you tell your story of how you became aware of God's presence, how you became aware of the amazing gospel message. And, and then you explain to him, what has changed? How have you been transformed. And do you remember how we end our gospel presentation? You've heard it about six or seven times now from people. Do you have a story like that? Do you have a story like that? You ask people, tell me your story. And then you listen. But my great invitation for you today is to, is to learn today that you can lisp, listen with gospel ears and you can find in other people's story the gospel as well. And you'll know exactly where the Holy Spirit wants you to speak. The part he wants you to enter in. So I know I just threw out a big challenge. Let me see if I can unpack it for you a little bit here today. Let me just start by, by inviting you. If you're sitting near someone, um, just lean over to them and ask them. If, if they know you, would you ask them, um, how good a listener am I on a scale of 10? Okay, we might go ahead and take a minute. If you're near somebody, okay, come on, I'm looking, I'm watching. 
I'm watching. I noticed your bride just ran out the back door, didn't she, over there? Yeah, yeah. How good a listener am I on a scale of 1 to 10? Got father-daughter over here. They ought to know each other. How good a listener am I on a scale of 1 to 10? Go ahead and do that quickly. Anybody crying? Anybody hurt yet? Okay. Anybody wrestled to the ground? Okay. Now, I don't know for sure, but um, my guess is that um, most of the women said to the men, you're a terrible listener. They, they probably were more gracious than that if you were speaking to a man. And most of the men, not wanting to starve the rest of their lives, said to their wives, you're a great listener, right? Uh, sorry for the stereotypes, but, but sometimes that is what it is, right? Um, all I know is that um, I'm a terrible listener. I'm a terrible listener. I don't know why that is. I, well, I do know why it is, because I'm selfish. I'm thinking more about who I am and what I want to say than what the people are actually saying, right? Um, let, me, let me give you a for instance. Have you ever had that... Uh, um, let me just talk to the guys for a second. Have you ever had that situation where you suddenly came into consciousness and the thing that brought you into consciousness was someone very close to you saying, did you hear what I said? Okay. Okay. Yep. I, I, you've been there, done that. Okay. Right. And, and, and um, I have a confession that happens to me on a regular basis. And yeah, it does. And so, um, and so, what I do sometimes, oh boy, I didn't think it was going to go this much confession today, is, um, is say, of course I did. Best defense is a good offense. Amen, men? Right? We learn that in sports. Of course I did. Right? And, and then, then you hear the question that strikes terror in everyone's heart. Right? You all got it already, I can tell. <laughs> so what did I say to you then? Right? And... Uh, and now here's here I don't understand it, but but I can dip into I can I can like listen for an echo and dip into it, but it's usually about a half a sentence long, right? That was just echoing in the caverns of my mind. It's not like a Glenn Campbell song. It, echoing in there, right? And and, and 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 I can pull it out. They see, right? And so what did I say before that, right? Oh, I'm in Hertzville. And usually I have to come clean at some point and say, No, no, it wasn't. Now, right now, all kinds of uh, strong, I believe, defenses are, are coming to my mind. Things that I could say to justify um, myself, but the reality is, is that I'm just not a good listener. And, and oftentimes I'm thinking about um, what I want to say, or I'm having a whole other conversation in my mind, rather than really listening. Finally, I just have to raise a white flag, say, I surrender. I'm... I'm I'm helpless and hopeless apart from your mercy, right? Well, um, I want to encourage you um, that that can change. And, and maybe one of the reasons, some of the reasons are physical. Let me just say that right off the bat. Here goes the justification, right? If, you don't, if you're not looking at someone uh, or you've got 15 other things going on, there's a good chance you're not going to hear what someone says. Some of those things are, are physical, but, but the good news is that is that as God helps you understand gospel, you can start to listen for that. You can develop the skill set 
that would help you be a good listener. Every four months or so, we do a, a training in how to make disciples who make disciples. And uh, Dave Serling has helped us a lot by um, doing a session on listening. And he, he, just wonderful skills that will help you become a better listener. But, but I just want to camp today on the fact that that everybody's story, positive or negative, is a reflection in some sense of God's created order. It's a reflection of the gospel and, and that you can learn to listen with gospel ears. To make my case, I'm going to have to say something strong right off the bat that you're going to agree with wholeheartedly and I'm going to take you all the way to the place where you're pressed up against a wall. But let me just start by saying God is a great listener. God is a great listener. Now, you're tempted at this point to say, well, I can think of times where he didn't, you want to say, hear me, but it's very possible, it, it's, I, it's absolutely possible that he heard you, but you didn't like his response to you, right? Let me just say, God's a great listener. How do I know that? How can you really know that someone is listening except by calling them out, like I get called out once in a while? How, how can you really know? Well, you can, you can know when they ask you good questions, right? If my wife shares her heart with me and I ask her good questions that are directly related to what she just shared, there's a good sign I heard what she was saying, right? Um, that's true for God. Doesn't that sound uh, crazy? That's true for God as well. God, and, and I believe Jesus is God uh, in the flesh among us. We can learn about God's posture for listening by looking at Jesus, by seeing God the Father in Scripture, God the Holy Spirit in Scripture, God the Son in Scripture, and, and seeing how well they listen. God asks great questions. Can I, I'm going to fly them by. They're not in your notes, so watch the screen, if you would, for just a moment. And in and, and Genesis 3.9, God says, where are you? Where are you, Adam? He knew where he was, right? But he's asking a question. Adam, where are you? And God pursues Adam after he has sinned, right? In Exodus 4, God says, who made man's mouth? When, like me, Moses threw up all kinds of, of excuses for not wanting to do what God asked of him. God addresses Moses' fear to speak on his behalf. Who made your mouth, Moses? I made it, right? Where were you, he says to Job, in that incredible 40 chapters, right, of, of turmoil where Job is trying to understand why the events of his life don't match up to his expectation of his life. And, and he's complaining and he's daring God, he's daring God to prove that he's not right, that Job is not right. And, and God just asks a simple question. Where were you, Job, when I laid the earth's foundation? And Job goes, I think I'll be quiet now, right? I think I'll be quiet. God reminds Job about the limits of his understanding and experience of God's greatness. Isaiah 44, who is like me when Israel was running to all the false gods? And, and, and beloved, we're in the exact same situation. Our country, our people are running to all these false gods. And, and God says, how can you do that? Who is like me? Right? How can you fall for something so much less? In that beautiful passage now in the New Testament, when, when, um, when Jesus' disciples are starting to get this inkling that, that, that he may very well be the Messiah. And he asks first 
who do, you, who do the people say I am? And then he asked them this pointed question. Who do you say that I am? Right? And Jesus seeks his disciples' thoughts about his true identity. Oh, this is a crazy one. But, but when his mother and brother, who, who think that he's... This is Mary, mother of Jesus, and brothers of Jesus, who thinks that he's lost his mind, and, and they come to collect him, right? Let's stop embarrassing the family. Ever been there? <laughs> Ever been there? Let's stop embarrassing the family, right? In Matthew 12... 48, he says, who are my mother and my brothers? Remember the answer to that? Whoever does his will, that's who his mother and brothers are. Jesus clarifies who his true family is. How about in Matthew 20, uh, our passage from today? We're going to unpack it a little bit. This amazingly courageous blind man cries out and and, and recognizes, by, by saying son of David, he recognizes that Jesus is the fulfillment of all that prophecies, that he is the Messiah who's come. And, 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 and he cries out to him, and Jesus invites him close and says, what do you want, excuse me, what do you want me to do for you, right? What do you want me to do for you? And Jesus responds to a person's need, right? Well, throughout Scripture, I mean, once your eyes are open to this, you're going to see it everywhere. In Genesis 3 alone, where I said, where are you? He has several penetrating questions, right? That just shows that he's paying attention. He's listening and he's wanting to know our hearts, right? But why? Why does God ask these great questions? And I don't know if you noticed, but... The questions that he asks, he already knows the answers to, right? He already knows the answers to. But he asks to reveal a person's heart and to invite them, to draw them into a deeper relationship with himself. So if God is a good listener, right? If God shows that by, by good questions, what about us who are made in his image I want to focus today especially on how God listens to people's response. And to go there, we're going to have to go to this story of, of Bartimaeus. Everybody knows him. Everybody discounts him. When they hear his voice, right, when they hear him crying out, they shush him. They shush him and, 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 and say, don't bother Jesus, right? They minimize who he is. Look at this. Look at Jesus as he responds to Bartimaeus. Jesus' posture when he deals with people, how it reveals not only their hearts, but his heart as well, right? His response reveals his heart and theirs. First, he hears individual cries. Even in the midst of all the busyness, and all the noise of our lives, right? He hears. There's a big parade. This is, this is the Zacchaeus time. He's going through Jericho. He just said to, to Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. The next morning he's leaving. He's on that 20-mile hike up to the cross. He's on the last journey to the cross, and he's got a few things on his mind, right? And, and, and yet there's this little voice, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me, right? He hears. Beloved God hears your cry too. He hears your cry. 
Don't ever think that, that you're just shouting into the wind. Um, God loves you. He created you. He knows your voice. And He hears your cry. But I, I can't understand this, even as I say it. He stops what He's doing. He's going to the cross and He stops because one person is more important than his journey to the cross right there. I, I know I'm making a huge statement right there. Um, that's the kind of God we serve. He stops what he's doing. When people interrupt your life, what's your reaction to them? Um, do you, do you um, uh, cling to your image of an important person by being so busy that you don't take time for them? When that child comes up for the 15th time and tugs on your dress or on your pants, do you stop what you're doing and get down and, and look at them in the face and, and express to them how precious they are to you? No wonder that each generation that comes after us has less and less of a sense that God loves them. In North America, not in the world, but in North America, each succeeding generation has less and less trust. Maybe it's because they're not finding people who, in the name of Jesus and through the love of Jesus, will take time for them. But notice again that Jesus asks penetrating questions. Penetrating questions. I I don't know about you, but the first several times I came to the story and, 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 and read from it, I thought, well, isn't that a stupid question? Mm, that sounded sacrilegious, but I, that's what was on my heart. Isn't that a dumb question for Jesus to ask, right? This guy, of course, he wants to receive his sight, right? And then I started to get a glimpse of all that God has in store for us. And, and I started to realize only his sight was thinking way too small. Right? You, can, you can have physical vision and still spend eternity apart from Jesus, right? You can have physical vision and and still lead a miserable life. I don't know. This is totally Dave right here. But I don't know. But that when he asked that question, he was saying, there's so much more for you, Bartimaeus. I can gladly, I will gladly give you your sight, but ask for more. Ask for more. I think I shared that with you a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago now, when I was trying to capture God's heart for, for the greater Evansville area and, and I was being forced into an exercise to, to try and wrap my brain around it and, and uh, I found myself suddenly taken down a road I couldn't imagine. Uh, did I share that with you? I don't remember. Did I share that with you? Yeah. I, I'm asking God that by 2030 there will be 240,000 disciples in the greater Evansville area. 240,000 and I'm not trying to be pompous. That's the vision that, that I sense he gave me. And in 20,000, 20,000 churches, right? 20,000. I know you're doing math. You're doing all kinds of stuff. I'll explain that some other time. Well, I, I was overwhelmed. And people said, okay, what was the vision? And, and, and some of my accountability partners, I said, you know, nope. And, and, and shared that with them. And and immediately as I did that, God said, your vision's too small. I'm looking at Jake. Your vision's too small, right? Because my vision is not just to receive sight. Are you you tracking the parallels here? 
right? Not just to, to raise up 240,000 disciples in 10 years in the greater Evansville area, but my vision encompasses the whole world. Your vision is too small, Dave. Your vision is too small. I don't know for sure, but I think that God was giving, or excuse me, Jesus was giving Bartimaeus a chance to think even larger, to think outside the box. I want you to, to be real with God. I want you when, you, when you have a very specific need like I did this last week, I want you to be very specific. Name that. Get other people to pray with you for that. But know all the while that God is, is able to do far more exceedingly and abundantly beyond just the rescue that I asked for last week, right? Um, I'm so grateful for that. But... But God's able to do so much more. He responds in extraordinary ways. And so let's ask in extraordinary. And I've unpacked that for you before. Let me do it one more time. Extraordinary ways. Oh, God, help me find a parking place, right? Um, am I the only one that's ever asked that? Okay. I don't want to take a 15th lap around this hospital, God. Um, um, Let's begin to ask an extraordinary. And, and don't, don't think parting the Red Sea necessarily, but, but just think beyond what you're currently asking. Let's grow into this. Let's start to ask God for greater and greater things, right? It's one, it's one thing to, to say, I want to reach the French-speaking Muslims in, in, in uh, I, I can't say the other town, so I'm going to say Marseille, in, in southern France. And, and, um, but God's vision might be to reach all the Muslims. What? What? To take a whole belief system and transform it? Islam was, was planted in roughly uh, AD 600, right? Somewhere in there. And, and uh, is one of the fastest growing um, religions in, in the world today. What if God just did a little, right? And you think that's impossible. No, because in 1990, he did that. He took a cult, forgive me if I get this wrong, called the Worldwide Church of God, um, based out of Pasadena, where I was going to school at the time, and, and, and on a dime, they flipped. They flipped and became uh, uh, surrendered to the true word of God in, in the Bible, and, and a cult came under I'm asking for the Mormon church to flip. I'm asking for Islam to flip because one day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess, right? But I want them to do that out of joy at his coming, not out of regret at, at their failure to see what was so clearly put before them, right? God responds in extraordinary ways. Let's ask in extraordinary So God listens. Not only does God ask great questions, but he listens to his people's response. Why? Why do you think that our Father God and his Son Jesus are such good listeners? Why do you think they ask such responsive and penetrating questions? Because that's what love does, right? Sorry, pardon that from the book, right? That's what love does. Love listens and love asks and love responds in extraordinary ways. And I'm looking at some of those extraordinary ways in the congregation here. In genuinely listening 
and asking good questions. God shows his love, his patience, his presence, and his care for us. And now when you, guess what? This is coming right back at you. When you genuinely listen and ask good questions, you show his love as well. So what are we listening for? I've given it away already, but let me just remind you. What are we listening for? Surprise, surprise. We're listening for echoes of God's story. If, in fact, what we believe is true, and I believe it is, then there's going to be echoes of creation. There's going to be echoes of fall. There's going to be echoes of redemption, a longing for it. Why do I watch the movie Gladiator over and over and over again, right? Because of the redemption in the story, right? There's an echo of that in my, in my heart. And that movie and all the music and all the production draws that out, right? We're listening for echoes of God's story. So the story of God is embedded in everyone's story, even, even the little things, even the smaller stories, the everyday stuff from work and parenting and a trip to the mall, vacation stories. When we look at them, when we look at them really with gospel eyes, we, we often discover that they too follow this pattern, creation, redemption, restoration. Let me see if I can explain it really quickly. I want you to listen to people's stories with gospel ears. How many times did Jesus say, you're hearing, but you're not listening, right? Or you're listening, but you're not hearing. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Listen to where or how their stories begin. Or they're longing for the way things used to be, right? What is that? That's creation. That's their version of a creation story, right? Listen for what's now broken and not the way it used to be, right? Or how a person wants it to be. It's not the way people want it to be. Guess what? That's fall. That's the fall in their story. Recognize it. Speak into it. Listen for what they think will ultimately fix their situation. That's their redeemer, right? Might not be a worthwhile one, but you can recognize it. You can recognize what they're putting their trust in. That's redemption, right? That's redemption. Listen, listen for what they're ultimately thinking life or this situation will be like when all is well. One day, one day, I know all will be well. That's their restoration story. You see, all of these stories, our story, their story, the smaller stories, the huge life stories that make up our daily lives, those stories are powerful opportunities to listen for and to present the gospel. The gospel of Jesus addresses all of life, addresses all of our circumstances. Let's learn to listen for it, right? Let me just add a heavy thought here. For, don't get distracted by the surface stuff. And I want to just say that as a word to us right now. There's all kinds of shenanigans going on culturally right now. Am I making that up? No. This, I mean, this is astounding, the pace at which life is changing, right? Don't get caught up in the individual weeds right there. Watch for the sin behind the sin. I remember the first couple of weeks I was in full-time ministry. I got a call. It just curled my hair just curled my hair. I, could, I kid you not. And, and I was so astounded that such evil could exist that, that uh, I, I lost sight of redemption. I lost sight 
of gospel in that story. Behind every surface sin that you're tempted to deal with is, is a thought process. This isn't in your notes, but, but note this. Behind every sin is a thought process. And behind every, every thought process is a belief system. And, and very possibly, if you can get back to that belief system and shift that thing by five degrees or something, right, all the other thought processes might change. All the other behaviors might change. So don't be distracted or disheartened by expressions of sin. Look to, learn to look for the sin behind the sin, right? Or the unbelief that's behind the attitude that's slapping you in the face, right? And you'll often find that it's intensely personal intensely personal and and it in mercy you've got to understand that it's so personal that that it's easy for them to disbelieve that god exists than it is to to believe that they have broken the heart of god in that way does that make sense i didn't say that well but it becomes easier just to say i'm going to become an atheist rather than wrestle with how i've broken my children's heart or my wife's heart or my God's heart. Does that make sense? So, um, so understand, it's intensely personal. In mercy, in mercy, recognize what you're dealing with. As David was wrestling with God in Psalm 62, it, was so, it would have been so much easier for her either to believe that God didn't care or that he wasn't powerful enough. And again, I've shared with you, my brother-in-law, who's a, a cultural Jew, has surrendered to that argument. It's easier to believe that God doesn't care and he, or he's not powerful than it is that he is caring and is powerful and he's not giving me what I want, right? Or not stopping unspeakable evil. And David ends up, in ESV, it's not as clear as in NIV, but in ESV he says, once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that God, I'm going I'm to translate it, that God is powerful and that God is loving at the same time. At the same time. Psalm 62, 11 through 12. So ask questions to get at the heart motives behind the person, the child, the coworker, the person in front of you, the neighbor that gets behind their words and, and, and actions to the motive, right? The heart motive. I'm going to buzz through these. Don't write them down. Why is this important to you? Why is this upsetting you? Why, right? How would God's view of you change if, if this didn't work out the way that you're hoping? Who's ultimately responsible for this world? How? How is what you're doing working for you, right? Are you finding deep satisfaction from this thing or this person? What, what if that all goes away, Right? From what do you find ultimate satisfaction in life? Ask questions that help people recognize the, the gospel in their own story. And strive, strive. I don't like to use the word strive because most of us strive too much. But we're striving for the wrong things. Strive to have the same heart posture as Jesus. Gentleness, mercy, and humility when you're asking questions or listening to other people's responses. Last couple thoughts. Gospel listening is real-time partnering with the Holy Spirit. You can't do this on your own. But, but I love God that He answers heart prayers. You're in a difficult situation. You just say, God, give me insight right here. Give me wisdom, God. Give me compassion. Give me the ability to hear. And God, should you choose... If it's not just listening that you want me to do, then give me words to say that will open their heart to a 
a larger image of who you are. Gospel listening is real-time partnering with the Holy Spirit. And we'll learn how to do that in, in the future. But I don't want to miss it. You can't do this on your own. Do you understand that? You can't do this on your own. You need God's Holy Spirit to be working through you. And, and lastly, just again, the gospel is good news, but it's always good news in the context of real life. A real life. I think that a lot of people um, who are feeling far from God think that we can't possibly understand or that we're judging them because of the situation that they find yourself. We've got to get over that. We've got to understand that, that they're hurting and they're lost and what's work, what they thought would work for them is not working. And if all they experience from us is judgment and condemnation, they will never respond to the gospel message. I want to ask you to enter the story with me for one minute today. God's question, God's question for um, Adam and Eve is his question for us. Where are you this morning? Are you covering yourself with all the fig leaves of life, all the, all the temporary things because you're ashamed? Are you embarrassed or you think that maybe God couldn't possibly love you if he really knew? He knows. He still loves you, right? He doesn't ask that question so that he can discover where you are. He knows where you are. He wants you to own it and to meet him in that place. But secondly, I want to ask you the question that he asked Bartimaeus, that Jesus asked Bartimaeus. What do you really need? From God. He said, want. What do you want from God? And is your want too small? You have a great God, able to do extraordinary things if you will just risk believing. What do you want Jesus to do for you? Pray with me, would you? I thank you for my sisters and brothers. Thank you that we are pilgrims on the same journey, God, and, and, and we don't always understand the situations that we find ourselves in. And God, honestly, honestly, sometimes we're so frightened we can't see straight. But God, I thank you that you care. I thank you that your response, Jesus, to Bartimaeus is your response to us as well. God, you hear us. You call us to yourself. You ask us, what can you do for us, God? And then in extraordinary ways, far beyond what we could have ever asked or imagined, you answer. So Jesus, we love you. And we believe today that, that, that you have heard our cry, God. And we want to listen to you. We want to, God, we want to ask ourselves that hard question. If, if this is true, what does that mean for me? What do I need to do in response? If this is true, God, then who do I need to tell? And God, grant us courage and strength to risk believing this is true and then to risk, God, listening to one another, especially those that don't know you. Grant us amazing courage to listen to their story. God, we will give you the praise. We'll give you the glory. Lord, I, I know that a lot of our lives we've spent gathering knowledge about you uh, like somehow intellectual
puzzle pieces, God, would, would somehow give us the big picture. But you're inviting us to really know you, to, to really experience who you are. God, thank you again for allowing me to experience who you are in these last days. I want that. God, I want that for my sisters and brothers. Help us to know you, God. We'll give you the praise and we'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.